Hey everyone, and thank you for checking out this message today. I'm Reed Robinette. I'm the senior pastor at Crossroads Church in Maryland, and we hope this message encourages you and challenges you. We believe that everybody has a next step of faith to take, and I hope this message helps you take yours. Enjoy. Good morning. Welcome to Crossroads. My name is John Ocotespo. I'm the uh, Eldersburg campus pastor, and I'm always happy to be here. Thank you. Woohoo! Uh, for those of us joining us online, hello, welcome. You're probably comfy and cozy, or who knows where, uh, enjoying winter in the south, uh, maybe, maybe, I don't know. Uh, I, I just know that I've got some friends who watch from Florida, and so I'm like, oh my gosh, they're enjoying very nice weather right now, and we're up here. So, uh, but that's all right. We've got some great stuff in store today in particular. We are actually wrapping up, closing this series. So it's already been five weeks since we started on January 1st. Where did January go? Hopefully uh, one month into the new year, you have some fewer regrets than uh, you know previous January's track record would indicate. So hopefully you're doing well as you've been tracking along and we've been asking questions. This series has just been meaningful on many, many levels. And when we close a series, I often like to punctuate it in some way because, yes, we're wrapping up a series, but that by no means means that we are done with the practice, the application of what we've learned. Uh, and so I like to encourage us, well, what's, what's the win? What's the goal? Why do we even do this service uh, or this series? And so at the very least, I hope that you have become intimately familiar with the correlation between decision-making and question asking. That, that uh, if you want to make better decisions, you have to ask better questions. Um, that, that I looked this up, that the average person makes 35,000 decisions in a day. Now, that sounds crazy, and how do you even come up with that? I, I tried to fact check it and whatnot, but I mean, they're like every two seconds you're making a decision, whether it's something you're saying or not saying, eating or not eating, clicking or not clicking, sharing or not sharing. All of those are decisions we make, no matter how quick we make them, we're making a lot of decisions in our lives. And our decisions lead to regrets and success and everything in between. And so our decisions and therefore the questions that we ask that get us to our decisions are incredibly important. My hope is that you would understand God's heart for you in the midst of this. That on the other side of this series, you would not think, my gosh, I've got so much work to do, all these questions, and I, you know, it's hard, and how do I keep track, and how am I doing? But that you would know that God is a God of second chances, who's patient, who loves you, and invites you into this. And every new day is a new chance, and that's good news. And so um, I, I hope that's the takeaway. Over the last few weeks, we've already started to ask some of the questions. The first was, am I being completely honest with myself? Because if we do not start there, well, we stand no chance of uh, answering any of these questions. If we're just going to lie, uh, <laughs> don't ask the question. See, the question holds you accountable. When you ask the question and then you know the answer... Well, then it's your prerogative whether you will be obedient and act on that or not, whatever the situation calls for. Are we being honest with ourselves? And then we went into this conscience question. Is there attention that deserves my attention? I like to think of it as um, when you are down to the game time decision, you're right on the line um, and, and your gut kicks in. Your gut instinct says, hold up, stop, wait, pause, 
Ask a question, breathe, consider what's, what's going to happen. What are the repercussions? It's this down to the wire decision. However, um, we happen to live most of our life, as uh, we talked about last week, with the wisdom question, what is wise for me to do? We live most of our life on a line. I used an illustration in Eldersburg last week, and I said, we, we try to go all the way up to that line. Whether it be our diet or the speed limit or whatever it is, we, we, we try to get away with what is permissible. If it's not illegal, it's, it's not uh, immoral, then it's got to be fine, right? And that's kind of how we operate. And those become some of the questions that we therefore ask ourselves. Well, when you are walking the line, when you're towing the line, you are apt with 35,000 decisions a day to step over the line. It's the distinction between I'm in control to I need help. I'm fine. I'm addicted. I, I, I'm, I'm okay. And then I'm kicked out and, and, and so on and so forth. And then we let this area, which makes up all our regrets, all these, we make this a bunch of things that it shouldn't be. One, we make it secretly. We do this. We make it our identity. We, d- we start to describe and define ourselves, not outwardly, never outwardly, but secretly, don't we? We, we, we hold ourselves to these mistakes, regrets, this, this past of, of hurt and pain we brought on ourselves, of broken relationships that are all around us, of, of, of pain and difficulty that, that, we, that we did, that we did. We have to be honest about that. And, and, and so we walk this line leaving no margin for error. Uh, I use the illustration of a baby. If a baby was right next to a pool, well, gosh, you'd run up and go get the baby. It's not because the baby's wet or drowning. It's because the baby is close. And if there's no margin for error, why would we think we can get away with it? With 35,000 decisions a day, why do we think we can walk the line and never... And, and, And our track record says that we need help. And that's hard to admit because we love, love control, don't we? And we hate to admit if we don't have it. Most of the decisions we make are about trying to grab control in some way, shape, or form. We think that something, we've got our our mind made up that some desire we have, good or bad, will solve or satisfy some problem we have. And, and, And so we operate under that parameter. But we have far less control than we think. We take what is patterns, what is predictable, and we assume that that's control. We say, because I can predict what tomorrow should or could look like, based on every other Monday I live, then, then that means I've got control, but, but we don't. How do you account for regrets and accidents if we really are in control? And to the degree that we do have authority and control over our decisions, well, then the responsibility to ask better questions is all the more important. Is this humbling? Yes, this is humbling. But... Is it necessary and good? Absolutely. Necessary and normal. You're just like the rest of us. If you've got a bunch of regrets that you'd care to not be defined by, secretly do, wish you could change, can't, you have today, and, uh, and we still kind of act like we don't have that, and I'm like, well, I'm still confident that I can make the decisions I make and be all right. I make 35,000 gambles a day right on the line. Now, if, if, if you're confused, perplexed, well, we've been talking about throughout this series this concept of self-deception, our ability to hide truth from ourselves. It's, it's fascinating. Uh, you, don't, you don't need to go far. Just look at a kid. It's intuitive. 
We're born with this ability. In fact, there's this show called Traders on, on, uh, on Peacock. And, um, and I don't know much, but I know that basically it's a show about how deceptive can you be. <laughs> and man, it's amazing how naturally it can come. I mean, and we think, well, I could never. <laughs> We're not in that situation. And when we are, it's shocking how deceptive we can be even to ourselves. And, 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 and so everything points to we need to address our self. As apt as we are to delay what wisdom says, do today, don't delay, change today, you can. What we, what we delay and what we blame instead. We say the world, the enemy of our faith, others, we point our fingers everywhere but, but here. And yet the pattern says, start here. Be honest with yourself. Ask these questions. So I hope that this builds up to a habit that you build into your life. You want to have fewer regrets, so do the rest of us. You have to make better decisions, and that requires asking better questions, which brings us to today. A question that has the power to listen to this, which has the power to enhance your current relationships, restore broken relationships, and prepare you for future relationships. This is the relationship question, and it is potent and powerful. It is packed with meaning. And, and unlike the other questions, where you will see fruit in conjunction to frequency, like you, you will ask what's wise, and the more you ask, and the more you do, you'll see fruit, and it makes sense. And it's one plus one is two. I have to warn you that today's question has no guaranteed return on investment. I mean, we make all of our decisions with a, if we're being honest with ourselves, we make all our decisions with a cost-benefit analysis. And, and, and if it does not benefit us, and, and certainly if the cost it goes beyond our preference, well, then we don't do it. And so when it comes to this question, it will cost you the most and potentially benefit you the least. There is no guarantee, measurable, tangible outcome for this question. And yet it is the most important question we can ask ourselves. And don't take my word for it. Take God's word for it. This comes straight from, uh, it's derived from this commandment that Jesus gives. See, he arrives in Jerusalem. And this is right before he goes to the cross. And, and in this moment, he, he knows this is like the pregame speech. And, and the pregame and the postgame speech are different because of the game, obviously. And that's the cross, the epicenter of our faith, the foundation of all that we believe to be true. And so right before this moment, he says, I'm going to sit down with my disciples and we're going to have the most intimate, clarifying experience we can. Because I want them to know definitively, decisively why I'm here, what I came to do and what I expect when I leave what I'm inviting others into. But the problem with this is that we are so familiar with these words that they have lost their potency in our lives. They have lost the potency, the sting, the ability to make every other following decision. Look, look if you... I was thinking about, I don't know why, but I was thinking about platypus and how they're this weird mammal. <laughs> Trust me, you're going to remember. There's this weird, weird mammal and they're venomous technically and you shouldn't have one as a pet apparently. Um, don't ask why I Googled that. But anyway, um, so cool animal, fascinating, right? But, but if, if, if you got uh, um, venom from any venomous creature in you, what's your next play? The very next thing you do is act with that in mind. 
I mean, I don't care what it is, calling or addressing it or going or telling someone, whatever it is, you're making that decision based on that. And, and in the same way, these words are potent. And I hope they, they strike. And I hope they affect us. And I hope they hit us deep down where it counts so that they're not just words that we know. You will be tempted to just say, oh, I know where this goes. No. Each and every day, we need to be reminded of the ways that God loves us so that we can go love others. Plain and simple. You cannot give what you do not have, and that's why the relationship with God is so vital. And he doesn't ask us to do things that he has not done himself and provided a way to do. And so here he makes a way. He, he makes a way where it maybe feels like there's no way. And, and the cross punctuates these words in action. But these are the words that he wants to leave his disciples with us and with us today that are so incredibly potent says this in John 13, verse 34, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If you love one another. These, these words are incredibly powerful. And, and here we get this picture. I love that, that Jesus says, a new command that I give you. Now, new commands were not common. The law was the law was the law for hundreds of years that Moses had established, that God had spoken into. And there were 613 that ranged all over the place. And you had to know them in order to obey them. And it got all crazy. And, and so the, the, the law took over. And that's kind of how people operated in this day. And new commands didn't just show up. And here Jesus says, really establishing his authority, saying, I, I am going to introduce a new command. And this was a commandment that Jesus could not have introduced had he not modeled first. He could not have made this till he modeled this because he even says it. You are now to love others as I have loved you. As I have modeled for three years of ministry, of toil, of, of pain, of memories, uh, 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 for three years of investing, this is the culminating point that you would model it. That you would do what I do for others. That it would not end with me. In fact, he says, it's better that I leave, that you get the Holy Spirit and you go do this. Ooh. This is Jesus establishing his authority in this commandment. And, and, and as I said before, he, he does not ask us to do things without modeling it first and without giving us a means to do it. I love that 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us, period, plain and simple. Do not misinterpret anything I say and go blindly try to love without knowing Jesus' example. You won't stand a chance. And, and, and then to what avail? To what end? And, and so you, might, you have to know Jesus to know how to love like Jesus. You have to know the love that you get from Jesus before you go give the love of Jesus. It needs to be experienced before expressed. 
And that's so good. And so if for just a moment, if that's you, this is the space, this is the time. I'm so glad you came because God had an appointment that for just one moment, because that's all it takes, where our hardened heart would fracture, where a crack would show up, where, where God could just for a moment speak truth into our lives, where, where our, our fears of the future and our wounds of the past would be silent for just a moment, that one singular place would grasp our full attention. That we would right now just clear the way of expectations placed on you by work and people, relationships, children, parents, and everyone else, the culture, the world. That, 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 that men, we could break our, our demeanor for just a moment. Because one moment is all it takes to wake up to the pure, perfect love of Jesus. Let me just tell you this one thing. You want to be loved the way Jesus loves you want it. You might not know it. And Christians aren't always good at showing it the way that it's supposed to be shown. But I'm telling you, you want the love of Jesus. You want a perfect love. And so we have to start by understanding his love for us. That that would be what compels us. See, love does compel. But if we don't put love first, then we're not getting compelling. We're getting coercing and controlling and manipulating and, and striving. And you know what? I'll just tell them and I'll speak my peace of mind. Information has never changed anybody. You know how I know? Because we all have Google. <laughs> you, you, don't, you don't need more answers and info. You really, really want to be loved the way Jesus loves. You don't need more Greek you want to love deeper and be loved deeper. And that will keep you preoccupied. <laughs> that will be difficult. If ever there was something worthy of giving your life to, it is striving to love like Jesus. The law makes it perfectly simple, clear, concise, no room for argument, debate. Jesus says, how are you going to love like me? Who? Everybody. Doesn't matter. You cannot present a single scenario in which I would not say love is still the answer. Do you know that Jesus, even in the ways he corrected, in, in the ways he rebuked, in the ways he got angry, in the ways he cried, in the ways he preached, in the ways he performed miracles, all of it at the very foundation, at the very core was love. See, if it weren't for love, then he wouldn't care about injustices. If it wasn't for love, he wouldn't feel compelled to speak truth because you don't want loved ones to get hurt. See, Jesus made a command, and I love that this speaks to the fact that Jesus is not anti-law. He's anti the mis uh, mistreatment of the law. He's anti the misinformation or the, the ways that we do not live it out appropriately. When he healed on the Sabbath, he said, no, 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 the Sabbath is for rest, but it's not from stopping doing what is good. You, love has to be the top priority, the number one filter that stands as a gatekeeper between our actions and our thoughts, our feelings, our words, and everything that we say and do. He says, establish my standard of love as the only filter you will use. It's not that the law isn't important. He came to fulfill it. He came to live it perfectly, flawlessly. Not to say, look what I can do and you can't, but to say, I will share my righteousness with you. In the ways that I have gotten it right, you don't have to be perfect. I don't expect perfection and payment before you come to me. I expect you just 
humble. Just, I need help. Just, I don't have control. Just honest with yourself. Just a broken and contrite spirit. Just you before him. And when you are loved in light of your regrets, if we did the slideshow of all your past mistakes, you'd love it, right? Um, If we did that and then somebody got up and said, and I love you, you will have never felt and known a more compelling and powerful love in all your life. Try me. That's Jesus. The prerequisites are just you, not perfection, not payment, not anything else. Now, love does not let people stay where they are. I love that we've got a saying, everyone's welcome, come as you are. Very true. Incredibly true. In fact, if we don't believe that, then we don't believe the gospel because it is a come as you are gospel. But love doesn't leave people in the dirt, mess, and grime. If it can do anything about it, it does something about it. The question, what does love require of me? How am I to put myself on hold, deny myself? It's the most loving thing you can do for yourself is deny yourself. Jesus invites you into a command where denial of self is the only way to live it out. Do you know the one thing that stops love from spreading, being shown, being used? Self. I don't, I, however you want to look at the repercussions, the ripple effects, how it ended up down the road, I'm telling you it's love. And, 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 and what stops, I'm telling you it's self. And what stops love is self. Ten out of ten times. Do you know I looked up the stats on people's biggest regrets and the top five, which accounted for about 90% of all the data they collected, every one of them had to do with relationships in one way or another. It's as if to say, we only have regrets because we have relationships. It's a different way of looking at it. And, And God has so much to say about our relationships and how we ought to live them out. Why? Because he cares about you. Because while regrets can mark so many relationships, so do the best parts of this world and this life, don't they? It's almost as if we were created to be in relationship with one another. It's almost as if the way that we can best devote ourselves to God is by loving other people. That the test, the tell of a disciple of Jesus is the way that we love. Ask yourself, If you were to take a poll of the people in your life, your coworkers, your kids, your parents, your friends, your peers, your schoolmates, take a poll. And if they were to say, or if you were to ask, um, by my love, would you know I'm a disciple of Jesus? It's a hard, this is the hardest truth I'll say, because listen, if the world does not know you by your love as a disciple of Jesus, it is not a stretch of the imagination that Jesus would say, I never knew you. And I know that's not our goal. When, when we say that we are a Christian, immediately, immediately, there's a measure that we are being weighed against. That's okay. Jesus called all this. We shouldn't get up in arms. We shouldn't get down and sad. We, it's just, it is what it is. Let's just say it is what it is, right? It shouldn't shock us. It shouldn't rock us. But this is the standard. Do you catch it in the command? Did you catch that it says everyone, this is how everyone by this, by the way that you love like me, everyone how now has a standard, now has a barometer, a litmus test for whether you're a disciple of Jesus or not. 
And so, so we have that on us. And the world, this is good news, if, you, if you're not walking with Jesus yet, you've just got something to hold us up against. And, and we should. And rather than, I'm not that bad, I'm doing all right. I'm right. Rather than any of that, can we be honest? Can we be humble? Can we say, yeah, I'm not always good at doing what love requires of me? Because it's so easy to not be accountable for not doing what love requires of you. Why? Because it's so common. Because who, who would? Who would hold you to a, a standard that is so difficult, so beyond our ability? Jesus, you're going to ask me to, to do this? I mean, anything that comes at the cost of self is, in my mind, the most costly thing that we can face. You know, it's, it's, it's like, if that's going to cost me, we are most apt to not do it. Cost, great, high cost, no guaranteed benefit, I'm out. And nobody's holding you to that standard. How can we understand that he first loved us so that that love would compel us, compel us, and compel us, direct us, guide us, continue to move us into things that we didn't think we were able or capable to do, and then here we are, serving in Nicaragua. Giving when we don't feel like we have that much to give. Showing up for someone, even if they're hard to show up for. Um, Being silent when I just want to say everything I want to say. Listening. Listening looks a whole lot like love, doesn't it? You know, it's, it's one of the ways people can feel most loved. It's if you listen. The problem is we just have too much to say, don't we? Wow, I got something to say. I I want to be right. No, 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 no. What does love require of you? Love protects relationships. doesn't try to prove to be right. Love doesn't make it about me. What I know, think I know, don't know, it's not about that. My list of what I don't know is always going to be longer than the list of what I do know. So why do I get so boastful, prideful, and, and bent out of shape about the things that I want everyone to just know and believe in? It's so difficult. It's so difficult. See, love is selfless and sacrificial. Um, th- there is uh, a temptation when we press into the idea of love to say that truth doesn't have a place. They're, they're just, that's the idea, that it's all mushy-gushy feelings. But t- let me tell you, this is a command he's speaking as truth. And apart from truth, by what standard would something be considered love? What would constitute it if there was not a cost? Th- 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 there are truths, and they are intended to refine us. God is for the law because the law leads to life and leads to love, or at least that's the plan. At least that's what it should do in our lives. It should lead to those things. It should lead to these moments where we feel the freedom of self-forgetfulness. It's a great Tim Keller book. If you haven't read it, it's 40 pages. You can read it in an hour. It is worth your time. Freedom of self-forgetfulness. To live in a place where you is not the main filter you use. Oh, you want to talk about freedom. We, we, we strive so hard. So much of us think that Christianity is working on yourself. Like, I, I'm going to work on self. And I'm going to refine it and make it better. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to get it right this time. I'm sorry, Lord. That's why I, I slipped up again. I've got another regret. And back and forth and back and forth. No, 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 no. We're not working on ourselves. 
Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves because denial of self is what allows God to use us and work through us. And that is how we end up becoming refined and sanctified and holy and more like Jesus. And that's good news because as long as you're just trying to do the work, works don't work. And you will work and work and then all you've got to show at the end of the day is your pride or your shame based on how you did. He says, forget yourself. There's an order for a reason. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and then love your, other, love your neighbor as yourself. There's a reason it is lined up because it is best for us. It is good for us to operate under obedience of God first and devotion to him that we would just look to him in all things. And then that wouldn't stop with us. That would move through us where we would be compelled. We have no other option but to realize that if Jesus loved me at my dirtiest, at my worst, at my ugliest, at my most shameful, at my most regrettable, then why would I withhold love from anyone else? And suddenly, rather than condemnation, I can see people through the lens of compassion. And I can move to them. Compassion makes a bridge. Condemnation burns a bridge. So you want to know the loving thing? The loving thing is almost always building bridges to people and places you never thought you could go. You don't even want to go. They will cost you with no guarantee of a return. Today's question is a doozy. What does love require of me? It will always have an answer. Where, where scripture is unclear on how we interact with certain things culturally today, where, where, where dictionaries fall short, where, where emotions tend to take over, where all of these things, what does love require of you has an answer. It's usually an answer you just don't like. <laughs> That's all it is. We need to be better about asking that question, answering honestly, and then acting in obedience on it. Lord, what does love require of me? I love that, um, that Jesus continues to um, pinpoint the importance of this, right? That, that he says, I'm the new standard. This is the standard that you would filter love by means of what I've done. Because the longer we look at Jesus, the more head-scratching, perplexing, crazy, radical, extreme this love gets. It just gets bigger and bigger. Paul says in Philippians 2, I pray that your love may abound still more and more. Do you want to know if you're maturing as a believer? Is your love abounding more and more? Or are you more cynical? Are you more right? Are, are, are you more jaded? Are you more? Are, um, I love this one that we so often say, man, I hope Jesus comes soon. It's got to be soon, right? Amen. No, because you know someone whose eternity is on the line and, and, and you love them and you love them. What does love require of you? Has an answer and has an immediate application. I don't know for what and who, but, but let me just say delaying answering that question and not answering that question is the easiest way to ensure you'll have more regrets in life. If most of our regrets are relational and you're not asking yourself, what will love require of me in this relationship? I'm so sorry. I'll be there when you fall. We're not here to judge, condemn, and push you down while you're already there. But we have a responsibility to strive in light of what Christ has done to love like Jesus, plain and simple. It will cost you and it will challenge you, but 
What doesn't cost you before you enjoy it? What, name one thing that you enjoy that didn't have some cost. Money, time, energy, convenience. But what would it look like to not filter that cost by means of self, but by means of others? And, 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 and what, what reward does not come with a challenge? You, you want this life. You want to be loved in this way. Why is it so, so difficult? I want to read um, from a letter that Paul wrote. And if you've been to any wedding, I guarantee you've heard this. It's, you know, perfect Pinterest and people probably have it up on their boards and all. You you know exactly where I'm going. (laughs) But again, it's a shame that some things that are so familiar lose their potency. Please do not miss this. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, chapter 13, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. What's that mean? It means shut up. (laughs) It means protect the relationship. Don't try to be right. It means do what she wants to do and watch her show, you know. Just do it. Might nod and say yes. (laughs) Love is patient. Love is kind. As you've matured as a believer, are the fruits of of the Spirit more prevalent in your life? Or do you, 20 years down the road, just know more about the Bible and Jesus and are no more loving because of it? It's kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. See, it's it's not self-seeking. It does not dishonor others. It, it, we, can, we can preach a whole message on every single one of these, that it does not dishonor. Why does it not do these things? Well, because Jesus didn't dishonor you when you deserved it. So then why would we, if we are privy to this, if we know our Savior and if we believe this is true, why, why would we dishonor, dehumanize See, love makes us care more about injustices, not less. It makes us face ugly things and challenging, difficult things. It doesn't dishonor. It's not self-seeking. In fact, there's no room for self. It's not easily angered. See, it's slow to anger. It's not that there aren't things to be angry about, but it's at the right pace and in the right place. It keeps no records of wrong. How are we doing there? Because love does not use or weaponize other people's stories, their scars, their shame, and their regrets against them. So burn the list. Every husband, every wife in the room, burn the list. Burn it. Don't use it. It keeps no records of wrong. God says that he has thrown our sin. He's cast it as far as the east is from the west. So why? Why do we keep our so close? It hurts us. And it hurts those that we are called to love. Love does not delight in evil. It delights and rejoices in the truth. It always protects. See, it puts others behind you, out of the way of danger. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. You see, the love that Jesus loved the world with changed the world. It's why we're still here today. 
And if we're in the business of asking, what does love require of me? Answering honestly and acting on it. It has the same capacity to change the world as it has done for years. But I can guarantee you at the very least, it will change your life. It will change your world. It will change the way you parent. It will change your kids. It will change your marriage. It will change. See, what does love require of me means that every single person in the room has work right after this message. I'm so sorry. I know it's Sunday. But you, you, you got to go to someone. You got to go somewhere. You got to move. You got to go. You have to ask forgiveness. And, and, and not with an expectation that they will forgive you. And not that they would, you know, we do this. Oh, I'm so sorry. So that they'll say sorry. No. There's no return on investment. Obey because Jesus says, you must love one another. As I have loved you, I'm going to invite the band to come back up and I'm going to pray in just a moment, but I want to, I want to push a little bit further and simply say this, this standard, what I've just read sounds amazing. Wouldn't you love if your spouse didn't keep any lists of wrongs? And what if you, they were patient and they trusted and they had hope and, and and, what if, but if we would have that expectation on others, we should, we should have that requirement on ourselves. We, sh- we need to. And so I'm going to pray, Lord, thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you that you loved first. God, while these questions have been clarifying, they're terrifying, God, because we know that in, in light of the answers, we're accountable to what we do. If we're really honest with ourselves, then we know what we're saying yes and no to. And Lord, this is not operating out of guilt. In fact, that's not what you preach. That's not what you do. No, you say, you need to step further into my love. You need to be more humbled by my love. You need to understand the gospel a little bit more so that you're equipped to love this way. Lord, I thank you that you didn't invite us into something that is impossible, but by your spirit and example, we can do this. Lord, what does love require? of me. Thanks for listening. This message was a part of the ministry of Crossroads Community Church. To support Crossroads and make more messages like this available, you can click give now in the description below. And to find out more information on all of Crossroads Ministries, go to crossroads140.com. If you enjoyed the message today, don't forget to follow us or subscribe to our channel, and we hope to see you again soon.